I must know the standard. I must know the Bible. Number two, I must be committed to the standard. I must be willing, number three, to sacrifice at times in order to abide by the standards. Number four, I must be willing to take responsibility for my choices. Number five, I must live with a conviction that I will not compromise the standards. And number six, the result of living according to the standards will be eternal life as I live up to biblical standards. All right, now that's the rules. Now let's talk about them. Let's, let's understand which, what each one of these may, are made up of. Again, life is made up of a series of small choices that lead up to the big one. And the big ones are all based on the smaller ones, even though each individual smaller choice may in itself be very inconsequential. It'd be, it may be very insignificant. But taken all together, they provide the foundation for the big decisions that bring the largest and most significant consequences in life, whether they're good or they're bad consequences. We're given a good example in Matthew chapter 7. The parable that Jesus gives about the wise and the foolish builders. Let's read through that. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, mine and puts them into practice, first of all, these words of mine and puts them into practice. What are these words of mine that Jesus is talking about? These words are really God's word. God's standard. Whoever hears the standards of God's word and puts them into practice or lives by them, continuing on reading, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Or he didn't compromise the standards of that he was building upon. But everyone, verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and or God's standard and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. A really great word picture that Jesus uses that we can grasp and understand because I think most of us understand the principles of building something. The process of building a house is, requires many, many small steps. Many, many small processes go into the, to the event of building a house, and they take time. You know, I was fortunate enough to be a part of some extreme makeovers when I was with Pine River Elog, and we, were, and we saw that it, it takes time. It, it, it took four days to build a house. <laughs> Hard to believe, but they could get it done in four days. But typically, Dick, how long does it take to build a house? You built a few in your life. Five, six months? Yeah, it takes time. And, and, and one process has to follow the other process. You can't put the roof up until you get the foundation laid. You can't put the shingles on until the roof's in place, right? So there's a process, there's steps that have to be taken. And, and so Jesus is talking about a couple things here. He's talking about the process, the steps, 
required to build a house. But then more importantly, he's talking about the foundation upon which the house is built. Is it sand or is it rock? Now, I think we can pretty much readily understand that sand is not a good foundation. Because when the rains come, you know what rain does when it washes down a slope with sandy, a sandy slope. What does it do? It makes big crevasses and it makes all kinds of, of, of gaping holes. Whereas if it runs down the face of a rock, the rock is unchanged. And that's the foundation that we're to be building our Christian life on, a rock, a solid foundation that is unchanging. And then when we do that, then life's thousands and thousands and thousands of smaller decisions, because we're basing our life on the solid rock, those smaller decisions are building upon that foundation that ultimately, sooner than later, will have a solid house built because we've built it with many, many solid decisions. But first of all, to get to that point, we've got to go back to point number one. We must know the standards. If we're going to be a follower, a true follower of Jesus, we must establish the foundation of our life based on God's Word and God's Word alone. There are no self-help books that we need other than going to God's Word and good solid commentaries and good solid Bible teaching and good solid discussion from other godly people. But God's Word must be our only source for the foundation. I cannot go to Oprah. I cannot go to Dr. Oz. I cannot go to any other's talk shows and get their advice. I must stay focused and concentrated on God's Word. That is the only foundation that every decision will base itself upon that will last for eternity. Amen? For us to think that we can build things without reading the instructions is silly of us. Men, I'm speaking to us. I'm one of you too. I know that as soon as I love to put things together, but I've learned that the first thing I do now is I read the instructions. Now, I don't read all the warnings, and I don't, read, I don't read every page, but I do go to the step one because inevitably, if I put something together, I'll have to put it together two or three times because I put it together wrong. It's so much easier for me if I just will take the time to read the instruction first. I must know the standards of which that, that grill that I just put together this week must have the right Structure it must have the right order to it. If I want it to put together right so that I don't blow off the house, then I must... Yeah, thanks, Chris. I, I'm, I'm doing it for you. If I don't blow up the house, then I must put the grill together properly. Otherwise, I'm going to waste my time and do it two or three times if, if, if I'm lucky. So we need to read the instructions, but yet, you know, I'm, t I'm asking you. Can I, can I ask you this morning? Can you really be honest with yourself this morning? How much do you really go to God's Word for your daily living? How much do I really go to God's Word for my daily living? See, we, especially the more mature believers, we've heard it all. We've heard it. We've been in church. How many, how many sermons have you heard and forgotten? <laughs> how many have you sat through but really haven't maybe put the Word of God to practice. You see, we cannot begin to, we can't go to step two until we know step one. We must know what the standard is. 
before we can build our life any further. If I'm building on anything less, then I'm building it on a false foundation because I'm building it on my desires, my foundational beliefs. But, you know, I know that mankind, I know how susceptible I am to making my decisions on what makes me comfortable, not necessarily on God's word, which probably will make me uncomfortable because my flesh will not line itself up automatically to God's word until I make it. Until I decisively, purposefully make my flesh line up to God's word, my flesh will go the opposite direction. And this is not just me, it's you too. It's all people, it's all men. It's ever since the fall, we are all contrary to God's word and God's direction. So it's not acceptable to say that I'm going to live a godly life and a Christian Christian life if I don't know God's word. Now, I know that that doesn't mean that we're we're never going to understand it completely. You don't have to memorize each verse. It was interesting. I watched the book of Eli. Anybody watch that movie? I just happened to catch it on TV uh, this weekend. And, you know, it was an interesting story. And we get to the very end, and, you know, he gave the book up. But the book was in... It's not a new movie, so I can tell that, okay? But the book was in Braille. And here it is, what he really got, he had, a, he had an MP3 player, okay, that he memorized God's Word completely. So at the end of the day, when he got to the end decision, the guy said, well, is the book intact? He said, yeah, it is. It's kind of beat up and worn, but it's intact. And they said, get some paper. And he quoted the entire King James Version. And that's how the word was then promoted then for the next generation. It's kind of a, it's a it's a interesting movie. I, I don't think that it's going to be factual. I don't know that any man could quote the entire Bible, and that's not required of you either. But it is required for you at least to know what where to go to get your source of information. Okay, that you at least have to know it well enough that you can go to a concordance or you can go and and live by godly principles. And so those little decisions that you're making along the day. Are you making them according to God's word or not? Good question. Psalms chapter 25 says something about that for us. It says, God, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Skipping to verse 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. For the Lord confides in those who fear him, and he makes his covenant known to them. If you want to know God's word, God will make it real to you. You may say, well, I don't understand the Bible. I can't grasp it. It's too hard for me to read. Well, keep reading it. Keep reading it with a heart of of a teachable spirit and understand that God will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will reveal things to you and you will see godly truths. So godly man, are you seeking the counsel and wisdom in God in your daily choices? Are you? Are you asking for God's wisdom and direction? Are you seeking his teaching and his instruction for your life? Are you still a teachable man, old man, old woman? Are you still teachable? Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. 
Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. (laughs) That's a scary thought, isn't it? Come on, dads. Come on, grandpas. It's for real. Yeah, I mean, if if we ignore God's wisdom, if we ignore the truths that he's plainly given us, God will ignore us. And not only just us, but our children. Wow. We must realize that God doesn't allow ignorance to be an excuse for poor choices. So when we have the opportunity to make good ones, understand that God's expecting us to go to God's word and to make good choices based upon good standards. And here it is. This is the truth of it all. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, When Jesus says something, I'm going to listen. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want to live in freedom? Do you really want to live in freedom? Then live according to God's word. Live according to the standards that he's in place, put in place for us. All right, so number, so number one, we must know the standard. Number two, we must be committed to the standards. It's one thing to know them. It's another thing to be committed to follow them. Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is what's in my head moved down into my heart, and then I act on that. That is true wisdom because that's the beginning of the Lord, of fearing the Lord. That's the beginning of living for Him is when I, when I, have, when I apply His wisdom. It takes a commitment, a total commitment to living according to the standards that we know are true and eternal. Anything less, anything less than a true commitment to living according to God's Word would be us making up our own standards would be us making up our own standards. And that would be basically building on the sand. That would be basically building on a foundation that will not last. Understand that if you're building on anything than than God's word, it's not going to last. So we must be committed to the standards. Luke Luke chapter 9, Jesus said this in verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, do do you want to be the disciple of Jesus today? Do you want to be the disciple of Christ? If you want to, then you must deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. The cross is the ultimate commitment. Jesus gave himself up on a cross to die as an ultimate commitment for forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, then, we also must be so committed that we also must be able to put ourselves on the cross. Every day we deny ourselves. We're committed to the fact that if I'm, going to, uh, if I'm going to have an end result of being a disciple of Christ, if I'm truly going to be a Christian man or a Christian woman, that I must follow his standards and live up to them 100% of the time. And every choice, even the little choices that don't seem to make any difference, even the little ones that nobody hears about or knows about or sees, I must be willing to be committed to that. Then number three, I must be willing to sacrifice at times in order to abide by the standard. I must be willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice is a required element of submission to a set of standards that aren't your own. Did you hear that? 
Sacrifice is a required element of submission to a set of standards that aren't your own. See, if I make up my own standards, then sacrifice is not required because I'll make them up so I don't have to sacrifice. But if I'm going to set up my life according to godly standards, then understand a sacrifice is required because my heart isn't naturally lined up according to God's word. So it's going to require me to choose. If I find myself in a decision path here where I have one way to go or the other way to go, one way is my path, my choosing, or the other path is godly, godly counsel or godly wisdom, I'm going to have to choose which one. Again, if I choose the one that is my standard, it's going to be easy. It's going to be non-threatening. It's going to be non-demanding of myself. I'm going to give myself a lot of leeway here, but if I go down godly paths, understand sacrifice is required. And can I be so bold this morning to suggest that a sacrifice is a requirement of holy living before a holy God? I mean, can you, can you agree with that? Can you say that? Can, you, can I say that without offending anybody this morning, that sacrifice is a requirement Okay, sacrifice is a requirement of living a holy life before a holy God. Remember, we talked about holy a few weeks ago and how holy means set apart. It means so high above all things that we can be or even that we can attain to be on our own. And the only way that we can please a holy God is to sacrificially live a holy life according to the power of the Holy Spirit, not my own power. Not my own. I can't do it on my own, and neither can you. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can choose to live a holy life by, by making every small decision a holy one. By not giving myself a buy on the small decisions, on how I spend my time, where I waste my time, what I think about, what I daydream about, what I, where I spend my, my, my money that's my free money to spend. What, what I declare is mine I have to declare as God's, and I have to be a holy steward of it, in every small decision. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, put to death. Wow, we, we, we read that way too fast. Put to death. What is death? Dead, killed, no life, no breath, dead. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. You know, we can, we can read these and we can say, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. But, oh, oh, I have an evil desire. Okay. So put to death. Put to death that. Verses 8 and 10 in that same chapter of Colossians chapter 3. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In the knowledge, here it is, there's that word, in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Wow, isn't that awesome? That we're given such good instruction. And now it's up to me, a fleshly man, to take control of my fleshly nature and commit myself to God through the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can live that holy life in every decision. I'll tell you what, if I can learn 
to make the small decisions based on holy standards, it will really help me when I get to the big decision because all my holy small decisions will be leading me to a holy big decision. Right? I can't be living a life of of inconsistency down here than expect when I get to my big decision to make it easy. But if I am living a life of holy small decisions then when I get to the big decision, really, I won't, there's no decision to make because I've made everything up to that line up here. That it's, it's an obvious no-brainer now. Just take the next step, and it will be holy because all your smaller decisions have been holy. Why don't we? It's so important that we know that. See, when we look at the small things in life, the seemingly insignificant choices that we don't think make a difference, that we don't have to sacrifice to, that I don't have to give that up. I am living where the devil loves it. The devil, the old saying is, the devil is in the details. It is so true. The devil lives in the details. He lives in the small things in life. Those times in life where um, he lurks there. He lurks in the shadows. He lurks where, there, where there, the small things are happening and, and where nobody knows it. That the, that the little things are so small, they're so insignificant, it really doesn't matter. I can make a decision because nobody's going to know about it. It's not their business what I do with my spare time or, or my money. You know, I'm your own man. I can make my own decisions. I, I deserve it. I, I've worked hard to indulge in this little, this little fun thing. Or it's the weekend. <laughs> it's Sunday's here, man. I work all week long, and now Sunday morning comes, and I deserve to sleep in. I deserve to do what I want to do on Sunday mornings. See, that's the devil speaking there because he knows that if he can get you in those little things, if he can get you there with those little decisions on Wednesday night, I've worked all week long, I'm too tired to go to Bible study, or, or small group, or any other thing that is a godly thing, if the devil can get you to stop doing the little things, he will ultimately win the big choice. See, we can't afford to let our guard down. We cannot afford to let our guard down in the small things. Rather, we need to practice making the small decisions for Jesus so that when the bigger ones come, we're already there. It's already there, and it's not awkward at that point to take the next action because we're already in the holy life. Number four, we must be willing to take responsibility for my decisions. This is a huge problem in our society today. You wonder why we have such high divorce rates, why we're so highly indebted, why we have personal bankruptcies, and, and why there's so much crime and murders and all other kinds of aggressive behavior against people, because people don't see their problems as a result of their actions. They blame other people for the problems that they're having today. They blame others because they don't have what they think they need to have. Rather than going back to the root cause of the problem and seeing that the problem that they're facing is really a result of their own poor decisions, their own small uh, uh, poor choices that, that they've made, they, they, they won't go to that root problem because that's too hard, it's too painful, it's too personal. So it's so much easier just to blame it on somebody else. Somebody else's fault that I don't have enough money to pay my bills. You know, I saw a thing on the... TV about a credit card company, this, uh, you know, getting out of debt type thing, and, and uh, they were talking about 
people that have high credit cards, and they say, even if it's not, even if it's not your fault, we'll get you out of credit card debt. Well, how can it not be your fault? Come on, who, who spent the credit card money? You know, now there could be a situation possibly where you had a, you know, a spouse that did it, you didn't know about it, and you divorced, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not talking about that. They were just trying to get people to come to their business, and they were just trying to get people to, to feel good, to say, it's not your problem. Come to us, we'll take care of your problems. Well, that's nonsense. It is our problem. We need to, be, we need to take responsibility for myself. It's everyone else's fault that, that I don't have any friends, that my boss doesn't like me. Everyone else gets the good job assignments, and I get the bad ones. And, or when I get a ticket, I was a speed trap. They, 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 they caught me. No, I, I was speeding. I, I was speeding. They just didn't have a trap. The cop was there, and I was speeding. What's wrong with taking responsibility for our actions? See, the one thing the enemy doesn't want us to do is to take responsibility for ourselves and our actions. He loves pity parties. He loves it when we play the blame game. He loves it when I, when I will... He thrives when I self-destruct myself because I'm blaming somebody else for my problem and I won't take accountability for myself. He loves it when he blames the worship leader because we don't sing songs that make us worship. Think about that. He loves it when we blame the worship leader because we're not hearing the song that makes us worship. Wait a second. Come on. There's no song that Jackie could sing that would make me worship. It's my choice. I can either sit there with my arms crossed and pout because I don't like the songs, or I can worship God because he's worthy of it. Amen? So don't blame the worship leader. He loves it when we get offended at the pastor because he preaches too hard and he stresses things that I have to do over the love of people. Oh, I can blame the pastor all day long. And I have at times in my life. He loves it when I refuse to take account of my life. See, what we need to do is recognize Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's real simple, folks. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when I can recognize that, now I go to Jesus. And then that's the only opportunity I'll have to be forgiven when I recognize that it's my problem that I need to be forgiven of, not somebody else's. Number five, we must live with a conviction that I will not compromise away from the standards. I must live with a conviction. And this is where the rubber really hits the road for most of us because after I finally realized it, after I finally come to my senses and realized that I need Jesus to forgive me, that, that I, I was a sinner and I needed the forgiveness of Jesus, once I come to that understanding, now I must live with a conviction to keep me on the right road. I must not allow the stresses of life or the compromises of life to come in so that I will come off the standard. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, that's just the opposite of what our society says, isn't it? Our society says we're all Christians, we're all going to heaven. But that's not what Jesus says in Matthew here. 
He says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many people will walk that road to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So which one are you this morning? Are you part of the many or are you part of the few? Now, the part of the many probably didn't start off that way. They probably started off on the right road. They probably started off in the right direction. But because they didn't live with a conviction in their life to not compromise the standards, all of a sudden they find themselves on a wide road that's easy to live on because they have no more conscience, because they have no more conviction. Come on, folks. We have to understand that if we're going to live a godly life, it's going to be hard. And you're going to have to work at it every day to make sure you're living by a conviction of your heart, not by the ease of your seat or the... Or the your pocketbook. And this is where, quite honestly, many well-intentioned Christians lose it. And this is kind of interesting because there is losing what? What are we losing? Are we losing eternal life? Possibly. I'm not going to tell you where you're at on your road this morning. I'm just preaching the Word of God here. But here's a passage that I think that, that some people live by too closely. <laughs> and it's a dangerous passage, but I want to read it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. It says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one, one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're making up your own standards, you're lost. There's only one standard bearer, and that's Jesus Christ. So, okay, you've got to be building on Jesus Christ, okay? If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. This is one of those hard scriptures here because this is kind of on the fine line of living. All right? How close am I living to be a Christian and still getting into heaven? Some of us may, may find ourselves saying, you know what, I'm okay with that. I will compromise with the world because I don't want to be so set apart. I don't want to be so peculiar with the world, so I'll compromise with the world enough. But I'm a Christian. I'll compromise with the world enough. And some will say, you know, I don't even care if I lose my rewards over it because it's just enough for me to be in heaven. It's just enough for me to see the face of Jesus that I don't care about my eternal rewards. So therefore, I don't have to work. I don't have to do the things of this world to really be, that would really convict me. Because I don't really care about the rewards. I just care about Jesus. Well, let me tell you, from my opinion, and according to the Sunday school class today, I must be a uh, perceiver because I see this as black and white. I, I'm real uncomfortable with this position saying that I'm just going to get in by the skin of my teeth. Therefore, I don't really need to do what God's word says that tells me clearly what to do. For example, We've laid out a path here for the past week to be a Matthew for personal evangelism. All right? Now, there are some of us here this morning that are taking that call. 
There are some of us that are saying, yes, that's me. I'm an evangelist. I'm a Matthew. I'm going to invite people to, be, to know Jesus. And, and they're all gung-ho about it. And then there are others that are thinking, ah, that's not me. I ain't going there. That's too out for me. That's too much, on, on, that's too much peculiarness for me to actually talk to my friends about Jesus. Now, I'm just going to live a good life in front of them and just assume they're going to see Jesus through me. I'm going to live such a bright life for Christ. I'm going to live such a sold-out life for Jesus. They're going to have to wear sunglasses. Do you get it? Sunglasses. Because I'm so bright. That's a cop-out, folks. That's a cop-out. The Bible never says that exactly. In fact, where do I read in the Bible here that it says anywhere else besides that I am to share the gospel, that I am to fulfill the Great Commission? It doesn't give us any option here for us not to share the gospel of Jesus and still be a born-again Christian. I mean, let's just read what the Bible says here, okay? Let's not try to read between the lines. Let's not try to read our own standard here. But let's read what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to share the gospel. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be the salt and light of the world. And if we're not doing it, who is? And if I'm not willing to do it as a Christian man, then am I really light and am I really salt? Now, we should live a life above reproach. You should live that life so clearly evident that Jesus is clearly seen with you because then when you do live that life, when you do bring the word, they will listen to you because you have earned their respect because they see a godly life. They see a life above reproach. Now when you go to them and say, hey, listen, I've got this, I've got this DVD that I'd love you to listen to. It's about hope. Would you take it home and listen to it? Because you've lived a life above reproach in front of them in the past, then they'll say, well, yes, I, I really want to know what this is. But if I'm living a life of inconsistency, if I'm living a life of all kinds of poor, small choices that they see, and then I go to them and say, hey, would you read this? Would you watch this? They'll look at it and say, well, why? If it's going to make me be like you, why would I want to watch it? <laughs> you, see, you see that? I mean, that's the inconsistency of being a, a Christian that is living on the bubble, that is maybe willing to get into heaven and lose the reward but I'm thinking that if that's what you're thinking is, you probably are going to lose more than just your reward. Jackie, would you come as we wrap up? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Man, I've heard that discussion. We live on the area of, area of era of grace. I can live my life the way I want to. I can do that. I can do that. I can not do that because we're on the age of grace. But yeah, and here's the deal. Maybe you can. But is it beneficial? Is it productive? Is it really leading you to lead others to Christ? Or are you self-indulging for your own gain? And I've got to tell you, that's a dangerous place to live. Number six, the result of living up to the standards will be a life of eternal living. It will be eternal life. There is a good news at the end of this message, by the way. And the final result of living a life committed to making all the choices, all the choices, all the small choices, 
with the knowledge and the conviction of the Word of God will lead to a life of favor, peace, assurance, and joy of the Lord. And what this means is that I have choices to make all through my days. Now, understand, you're not going to make everyone perfectly. I'm not, I'm not preaching perfection. I'm preaching a relationship with Jesus that we make our hearts and our lives so focused on him that he is the center point of our life. And that every choice I make, I want to make it to please him. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the, what the Spirit desires. So you, do you see here in this, in this passage that Paul has laid out that clearly we have a choice. Clearly we have a choice for those that live according to their flesh or those that live according to the Spirit. Different outcomes, different choices, but you have the choice. What's the ultimate outcome of each person? Well, go down to verse 13 and 14. So where it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay? No argument here. You live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, here's the choice, if you live by the Spirit and put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So the question I have this morning is, what choice are you going to live by? Whose standards are you going to live by this morning? Are you living by your own? Are you living by the God's holy word? Which one are you living by this morning? Um, guys, we need to fill this church up. Not just to have a full church but because our friends are going to hell. Our friends are not going to heaven if we're not filling this church up, if we're not being the Matthew, if we're choosing standards that are not godly standards in our little lives, in our little decisions, in our little choices, then we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. At the end of the day, we may, not, we may lose more than just rewards. So this morning, I, I just want to end the service this morning with a, a song of, of surrender this morning. And I, and I want all of us to go back and, and reevaluate our lives this morning. And, and what choices am I making? What, what little choices are, am I making every day of the 5,000 choices I make a day or whatever those number is? How many of them are based on, a, on, on the solid rock of Christ? And how many of them are on my own standards? Amen. Close your eyes with me if you would. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would just dissect us a little bit right now. God, that you would search our hearts, oh God. That you would just test us and know our anxious thoughts and you would just make them real to us. God, that you would make it so evident to us that maybe we need to make a change. And then, Lord, I pray that you give us the conviction to do it. That we would have the conviction, the urgency of the hour, that we would not allow ourselves to rest in areas that are not productive and not beneficial for the kingdom of God. Let's sing the song and let's just let our hearts be challenged by this as we sing the song of surrender this morning. Would you stand with me?
minute as Jackie sings this next verse, I want to put the challenge out. This morning, if you recognize in your life that you have been compromising the standards or you've maybe been lacking in any one of these six steps, would you make your way to the front here this morning and be bold enough to say, Jesus, I want to change. I want to change. I don't want to give up myself. So I'm asking you to be bold this morning. I just don't feel like we can let ourselves off the hook. We do it too much. So would you, write, would you come to the front with me? Because I'm up here. I see myself enough that I see this in me, and I'm up here because I don't want to give the devil a foothold in my life. Spirit, Lord Jesus, that we are sold out to you and all for you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray this to be done. I pray, God, your mercies and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.